come on in and we'll get get underway here. It is good to be in assembly this evening. It is good to have time to study God's holy word. I'm thankful that you are here. We're going to be turning to Isaiah 6 together this evening. Isaiah chapter 6. Hope you're feeling good. Hope you're feeling wide awake, at least for the next 40 minutes or so. Hope you're feeling up and at it. Hope and pray your week is going good. And we'll continue to do so. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll read the first few verses to get ourselves underway. We'll read the first few verses and then we will have prayer. All right. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Let's bow together. Holy, righteous Father, we do bow before your holy throne. In contemplation, Father, of who you are, all that you mean to us, in contemplation of who we are, Father, in your presence. We understand, Father, that you are great and high and lifted up. And in humble gratitude, we, we do thank you for every single blessing in life. We're thankful also, Father, for hard times, for challenges in life that help us to grow. And Father, all in all, we want to be up there at your throne with you forever and ever. Oh Lord, help us to have this desire Help us to have it growing in our hearts and lives. We're mindful, Father, of those among us, around us, who might not be feeling well, who may have serious sicknesses or have concerns 
I pray your blessing, Lord. Lord, we're dependent on, on you for everything in life. You are our God. You are our Savior. Lord, without you, we are nothing. Look down upon us, O oh Lord. Forgive us of our ways. Forgive us of our uncleanness. Forgive us when we go astray. Help our hearts, O oh Lord, to be in step with your will. We're mindful, Lord, every, every day and every hour of every day and all throughout the day of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I am thankful to be with you this evening and look into this great passage before us, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6. The overriding thought here is that Isaiah is going to respond to the holiness of God. Let's begin, though, by thinking about the time frame here because Isaiah 6 verse 1 says, In the year of King Isaiah, Isaiah. Now Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four kings of Judah, beginning with Isaiah. Okay. If you want to write down something, Isaiah reigned from about 767 to about 740 B.C. So Isaiah is beginning his work as a prophet around about 740 B.C. 740 B.C. Because he says here in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now the four kings of Judah that were reigning during Isaiah's work, first one is Uzziah, and then Jotham, his son, and then Ahaz, and then finally Hezekiah, Hezekiah. Okay. So notice here in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, let's remember how and why did King Uzziah die when he died? Okay. The reference is 2 Chronicles 26. So let's jump over there right quick. You got your Bibles? 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26. Because this, this particular passage is um, very much attached to what we're thinking about this evening. 2 Chronicles 16, rather I should say 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. Chapter 26, 2 Chronicles, verse 16. Verse 16. Uzziah's reign. But notice what it says in verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. And when he was strong, when he was strong, talking about the king, he grew proud. He got lifted up. And this was to his own destruction. And then he did something really foolish. But this is what pride leads us to do. Okay. So read with me here in 2 Chronicles 26. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. The king. The king's not supposed to do this in those days. 
But Azariah, the priest, went in after him. I just had to stop and think about that. I was reading this earlier. And this is what he should have done. He went in after him. See that, verse 17? With 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of this sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will... It will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Isaiah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of those priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. Okay. And so this attaches, as you can see, to Isaiah 6. King Uzziah, the year that King Uzziah died is when Isaiah began his ministry couple of lessons there, of course. We learn how important it is not to offer unauthorized worship to God. You, it, uh, every example, when this happens in the Old Testament, is every example it comes forth with punishment. And so we learn about the importance of worshiping God in His own appointed way. But we also learn this, that though a king dies... The true king still is on his throne. Okay. Uzziah, who was the king of Judah at that time, and he became corrupt. You know, he, he was strong there. Second Chronicles 26 says he was strong, but he became proud. He, he became full of pride. Somebody says absolute power always corrupts absolutely. That's usually the case. You know, it's very rare that that doesn't eventually happen to someone in power. And this happened to him, and he died. He was corrupt, and he died, but still the true king. See, Isaiah, here in Isaiah 6, he's going to be able to look into the heavenly temple and see the true king. God the king will always be on his throne. Okay. In fact, little verse in Hebrews um, 1 verse 8 has the Lord speaking to the Son, Christ, saying, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God's throne, throne is forever and ever. Okay. No matter what's happening in the world, no matter what's happening among leaderships, uh, whether it's local or whether it's uh, national or whether it's worldwide, still the true king of all kings is always on his throne and it's upon him that we put our faith and trust it's in him we depend okay so I just want to start out start out here in Isaiah 6 with the time frame that is is noticed here the second big part of our lesson let's, let's return to Isaiah 6 here uh, the second part of our lesson is of course to notice the holiness of God let's notice 
what Isaiah sees, let's notice what he hears, and then let's notice what he feels as he is permitted to look into the heavenly temple itself, kind of similar to, to uh, the, the opportunity that John has when John uh, writes the book of Revelation. He is, he is permitted to look into the heavenly realm, and so is Isaiah here. So what is it that he sees and hears? Well, besides being able to look into the heavenly temple itself, the throne of God, he is able to see the king in his beauty. Look here on, in chapter 6. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so in a symbolic way, um, it pictures God having on a big, long, huge robe uh, that filled the temple. Of course, God doesn't actually have a robe. He doesn't actually have a physical throne. But it, this is symbolic to tell us that the king is on his throne. So he's allowed to see uh, the king in his beauty. Okay. Notice also, though, that um, Isaiah is allowed to see the seraphim. The seraphim. What comes to your mind when you think about the seraphim? And so we're not given just a whole lot of information about the seraphim. Obviously, created spiritual beings that, that serve and, and um, do the bidding of, of the great creator, the great king uh, on the throne. But the seraphim, the seraphim, he's able to see they, they have six wings. Two covers their feet, two covers their face, and two are to fly with. The word seraphim simply means to burn. To burn. And I don't know if there's anything significant about that except it might refer to how zealous they are uh, for serving their Lord. But uh, he is allowed to see the seraphim. The seraphim. And um, God has them doing things for him. Okay. Now he's also allowed to hear them praising the Lord. And what are they saying to the Lord? Yes. Holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Okay. I wonder why there's three repetitions here. Holy, holy, holy. So one holy for each person of the Trinity, Godhead. That's that's a good that's a good thought there. Okay. And it could be it. It could also mean that God is holy to the very ultimate degree. Very ultimate degree. The, the, the nth degree. You can't you can't get when you think of the holiness of God, you can't get any higher uh, than that. So it it could be both ideas that holy for each member of the Godhead, but also it could be referring to the fact that you can't get any more holy than, than this one here on the throne. Okay. Interesting, in, in Jeremiah 7, kind of going the opposite direction here, 
But Jeremiah is, is um, he's addressing the people's hypocrisy. Uh, they were out doing things during the week. They were following other gods. They were committing adultery. They were stealing. They were even mistreating one another. But they were claiming that they were okay because of the temple. They were taking care of the temple. Jeremiah 7 verse 4, Jeremiah says, Don't trust in these lying words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It repeats it three times there. So what you might say there in Jeremiah 7 is, they were, they were showing hypocrisy to the ultimate level. You couldn't get any more um, involved in hypocrisy than what was happening there in Jeremiah's day. They were going in there and serving God in the temple, but also serving false gods during the week. And so if you take it from that standpoint, then you come back here and you read, holy, 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 it could be that he's, they're saying, you don't get any more holy uh, than the one on the throne. Okay. But they're praising him on the throne. And so you see what Isaiah sees. He sees the seraphim. He sees the king in his beauty. You see um, and understand what he hears. He hears them praising the Lord. By the way, there's a similar reference. You might want to jump over. Revelation chapter 4. As John views the heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 4. And uh, around verse 8. The, uh, well, verse 6, starting Revelation 4, Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, and the third um, the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle. And the creatures are all praising the Lord, saying, uh, Holy, 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 night and day, they're, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay. All right. So you see what John sees, you see what John is hearing, but notice also here in, in Isaiah 6 that, that the foundations of this sanctuary shake at the praise of these creatures, of these beings. And then he sees the smoke fill uh, the temple. So it's just interesting that John is, is becoming very much aware of the greatness and the holiness of God. Now, for us, one thing that's huge here uh, before we move on is to notice how the Apostle John uses this occasion to talk about Jesus so be sure that somehow you have a reference or, or somehow mark your Bible to understand that, that, what, um, that actually Isaiah is, is seeing Jesus uh, even way back here during um, his times. Even several hundred years before Jesus ever come to the earth, Isaiah is seeing Jesus. Well, look over to John 12. John 12. John is um, speaking about Jesus, how that um, 
He was doing many great signs, and yet people still would not uh, believe in him. But uh, notice what he inserts here in John chapter 12 and verse number 41. John 12 and 41. John remarks, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Notice that right there. Isaiah said these things, and referring to the verse right above that, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Okay. The other day when we were studying um, what John the Baptist said about Jesus, John 1, 30 and 31, we, John said of Jesus, he was before me. He was before me. So even though John was actually born in the flesh before Jesus, six months or so earlier, yet John was able to understand that Jesus was before him. Jesus had always existed. Okay. Uh, he's the, um, you know, he's what they call the pre-incarnate Christ. Is that how we say it? Pre-incarnate. Christ was uh, living, of course, as God. He's eternal. And he had a, a, an everbody and abiding existence before he ever became flesh. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1 14, the, this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, Isaiah is seeing the Lord of hosts, Christ himself, here way back in, in uh, 740 B.C., several centuries before Jesus ever come to the earth in flesh. So it's a powerful statement here about the Lord. In fact, if you're right there in Isaiah uh, 6, and notice the specific wording here um, in verse number 5, Isaiah says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. The American Standard Version has there, my eyes have seen the King Jehovah of hosts. So this, this has then a reference of Jesus being Jehovah because John said, I saw his glory when I spoke of him. Isaiah saw his glory when he spoke of him. Okay. So first we see the time frame of Isaiah here and learn something about that. And then we see how that John uh, spoke of, of this instance. And then we see that Isaiah saw the holiness of God. Now, where we really, really want to go this evening is the next verse there in verse 5, where Isaiah responds to the holiness of God. He responds to the holiness of God. Anytime an honest person, at least when you look at Scripture, anytime an honest person gets a glimpse of the holiness of God, they always confess their sin. They always confess their sin. And I wish we had time to really just look at all the examples of this. Um, one that's, that's quick to think about is in Luke 5 and verse 8, when Jesus led Peter and 
the disciples to uh, make it. They had fished all night and caught nothing. And then he said, cast on the other side. And they brought in such a huge, great two shipload plus amount of fish. And Peter told Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful person. And again and again, when people are introduced to God in, in the Bible, uh, it always is this way. They, in, you end up, when you come in contact with the holiness of God, you always confess your sin. Always. Um, but we won't, we won't go everywhere about that, but it, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. And it certainly is the case here with Isaiah. Okay. Now Isaiah responds by saying, woe is me. Woe is me. Think for a moment about the prophet's role. The, the prophet's role. He had, he had two big announcements to make. He was either having an announcement of, of deliverance or an announcement of doom. Okay. Especially Isaiah, but the other prophets as well. It's either a, a, an announcement, an oracle of deliverance, or an oracle of doom. Okay. And a lot of times they would start their oracle of, um, of deliverance with the word blessed. Blessed. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Okay. And so that was always an indication of deliverance. But, but a lot of times when they were going to have uh, some grim news, some doom, then they would start with this word woe. Woe. Okay. Um, if you're right there in Isaiah 6, let your eyes go back to verse 20 of Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to, the, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. And woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet uh, for for bitter. Okay. Um, look at verse 11, Isaiah 5. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as the wine inflames them. And that's what the prophets did. They, they delivered messages of doom to those who were rebelling uh, against God. Now, notice here, Isaiah begins with himself, which is always the way it ought to be. He preaches to himself first. He can't help it because he sees the pure holiness of God before him, and he says, woe is me. Woe is me. And it's one of the, one of the great secrets to faithfulness to God is is the ability to, to examine ourselves in light of who God is. Woe is me, he says. Woe is me. And I just find that interesting. Do you have any passages of Scripture that might come to your mind when you think about self-examination? Paul told us to examine ourselves to see if we have faith in Corinthians. All right, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Any other passages come to your mind about self-examination? Certainly Paul, when 
teaching about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We remember that um, the prodigal son, before he realized he needed to come home, he, he examined himself. He came to himself. And what did he say? I have sinned. Okay. He first said, you know, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here I perish with hunger. He did some examining, some introspection upon himself. And then he decided, I'll go home and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Make me as one of your servants. So this is... Yea, the pig, a permanent, permanent wave. Okay. Yeah. So, that's cute. Yeah. Alright. Um, so, Isaiah's response is to confess his sins. And part of that is he says, woe is me. Woe is me. And the next part of his confession there is he says, I am undone. I am undone. Now, some translations have the word lost or the, the word ruin. But here, I like the older translations. They, they get right to it. This is the core of the meaning. I, have, I am undone. I am undone. That is, um, have you ever heard somebody say, he's lost it? He's lost it. Or, or he's, um, uh, he's having a come apart. He's coming apart. That's what he's saying here. He says, I, have, I am shattered. This, this is what the holiness of God is meant to do to us. It's what it will do to us. If we have an honest heart, okay, it will cause us to come undone, to, to break loose, to, uh, to, be, to come apart. Okay. Yeah. Destroyed. Scattered. I, I, when I read this, I thought of the old Looney Tune cartoons where, you know, all those tragic things happen to them and they just, sometimes they're just cut up into pieces and then the next slide in the cartoon, they're all back together again. Wile E. Coyote, you get run over by a big truck, and, but he's able to walk later. But, but I think about how they would just kind of disfigure them uh, for that scene in the cartoon. And this, is, this is Isaiah saying, I... I I saw this and I just came apart. I just came apart. I, I lost it. I'm, I'm scattered. I'm shattered before the Lord and His glory. I'm absolutely undone. And this is Isaiah, not, not Uzziah. Isaiah was a, the prince of prophets. Isaiah was faithful. No scandal. No scandal in Isaiah's life. Here is a righteous man. But the righteous man is saying this. The righteous man here is saying, woe is me. The righteous prophet here is saying, I am undone. Okay, this, this, this peering into the holiness of God has caused me to come just feel shattered. I am sinful. I am sinful. And this is the way it ought to happen. And this is a great, again, a, a key key idea in, in being truly faithful to God is 
is this how is this my is this my stance is this my approach does this do this to me am I like Isaiah here so he says I am I am undone I am undone we are pretty good at self-deceit aren't we we are we're pretty good at the cover-up We go the opposite way of Isaiah here. We, how do we do it? Well, just think about the things that we think and say to ourselves about our sin. We might say something like, well, yes, but I'm not as bad as the other fellow. You know, I may be depraved, but I'm not that depraved. I may have been doing, I've done some wrong things, but I can always find somebody else that's done more wrong than me. You see, we're we're masters at at cover up. That's you remember the story Jesus tells in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the publican that goes to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee prays, "Lord, I'm thankful I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an extortioner, and I'm not like this publican over here." You know, that that's us. That's what that's what we do. We, um, we say we're not as bad as other people. And we sometimes say, you know, if you hit the street and ask people what they think about sin, probably one of the, one of the answers you'll get is, uh, well, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Is that true? No one's perfect. Is that a true statement? No one's perfect. It's true. But... That all, not, we, we say that to, to derive comfort, but it ought to trouble us. And if you're, in the, if you're in the presence of the holiness of God, it will trouble you. That's what's happening here to Isaiah. Okay? He's not saying, well, no one's perfect. He's saying, I'm a sinner. Okay? I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm doomed without God. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Right, that's what. Right, that's right. And, and yeah, that's John, when Jesus came to be baptized, him, John responded this way. He said, You're holy. You're the holy one, not me. I need to be, I need you. You do not need, need me. Okay, that's good. But, um, you know, um, we, have to be cover, we have to be careful about this cover up. Because this is not what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah is just coming clean with God. And it's my take on this that any time that we're really studying and we're really looking into the holiness of God, this will be our natural reaction if we have an honest heart. We will respond exactly like Isaiah. And we should respond like him. Somebody on the street may say, well, everybody's entitled to one mistake. Everybody gets a free sin, right? Everybody gets a mulligan, right? Um, but this is not what Isaiah... Did anybody ever say that, by the way? Does God say that? Did God ever say everybody's entitled to one mistake? Does God ever say that? We don't hear God saying that. 
Sin is always a serious business. Okay. And we seem to want to, I'm just saying the tendency of mankind in general is a tendency to cover up, a tendency to flatter ourselves, a tendency to comfort ourselves. But Isaiah was, is having nothing to do with this. We have a tendency to, to want to present ourselves as someone who's got it all together. Okay. But Isaiah doesn't seem to be Isaiah doesn't seem to, to desire that at all. He just simply is honest and says, look, in view of this, I am nothing. I am, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean uh, lips. So notice here in Isaiah 6, we saw the time frame, and then we see the glory and the holiness of God, and then we see here Isaiah's response. Now the next part here is God's going to extend forgiveness because Isaiah is so humble and penitent, he's going, God's going to extend forgiveness to uh, Isaiah. How does he do that here? Look in your Bible and see. How does, how does he extend forgiveness to Isaiah? He has one of the seraphim to do what? Okay. And where does he put the hot coal? In his lips. Can you imagine that if, if that was real? What, how that would feel? Now this is symbolic. And where in that day would you get a hot coal? Where does he say, what does he say here? Got it from where? Got it from the altar. Okay. Probably the altar of sacrifice. Where there is the shedding of blood. I think this is um, quite symbolic of how he is removing Isaiah's sin. Okay, he takes that hot coal from the altar, which would signify to us a sacrifice being made, and then he presses that hot coal against his, his lips, and then he pronounces him that his sins have been atoned for. His sins have been taken away. And so um, God extends forgiveness uh, to Isaiah. Of course, it's much different today, but it's, it's similar. Okay, if we're going to receive forgiveness today, then there had to be a sacrifice on our behalf, as you know, the cross. And then there has to be some sort of painful turning to God. Repentance is not easy. Okay. Now, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's not, it's not without pain. Okay. The, the, the gospel is meant to convict us. It's meant to humble us. It's meant to make us mad. It's meant to uh, take us down a notch. Okay. But it's all good for us. And so salvation here is extended to Isaiah and so similarly, in a similar way, uh, in a greater way today, it's extended uh, to us. And so we see uh, forgiveness is extended to uh, Isaiah and then after that, what happens? What happens after the forgiveness is extended to Isaiah? 
Yeah, what happens next? What does the Lord say? Okay, who's the us here? Yeah, who's the us? Yeah, kind of reminds you of, of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image. Right? So who shall go for us? Who shall go for us? Okay. And then um, Isaiah responds, here am I, uh, send me. Here am I, send me. Now, put this all together for a second. You see that, first of all, Isaiah is impressed with the holiness of God. And then from there, Isaiah recognizes his own sinfulness. And then thirdly, salvation is extended to Isaiah. And then fourthly, Isaiah is commissioned to go and spread the news to people. And then the rest of our section here through verse 13, God explains to Isaiah, as you go, I want you to know the condition of people's hearts. Okay. They're, they're not going to be able to see. They're gonna, they're going to, you're going to show it to them. They're not going to be able to see. You're going to tell them about it, but they're not going to be able to hear because they're not going to be willing to see they're not going to be willing to hear. Okay. But it's the same pattern today. Okay. For, someone, for someone to come to God, they've got to be first impressed. There's got to be an impression. Then there's got to be a recognition of sin. And then you've got to know how salvation comes to the cross and respond to that. And then you've got to recognize the commission of God to go in all the world and preach the gospel. But then also you've got to recognize the condition of the people the, the hardness of heart. Here, here we are some 700, 800 years before New Testament times. God prophesies, he predicts that this will be the response of people to the gospel. There will be hardness of heart to the gospel. Now we, interestingly, we are all surprised, you know, that, that people will not respond. Why, why aren't people interested? Why, aren't, why won't they come? Okay. Why, why wouldn't they be more responsive to the gospel? Why aren't they more interested in Bible study? And here it's predicted several hundred years before Christ that this is going to be the conditions of people's hearts. And we get all panicky. We get all stirred up. We, we begin to go outside the bounds of the Word of God so that we can try to, to interest people, okay? But God predicted this, okay? He predicted it. Few are they that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Okay? And God commissions us to continue to sow the seed, but to, He also predicts for us again and again. Jesus often uses these very words about the hardness of heart. He tells us that this is, the, this is going to be the reaction, the condition of people's hearts. And so Isaiah 6 here to me is, is quite revealing not only about what Isaiah saw, but also about our own uh, times and our own responses uh, to his holiness. Okay. So let's 
So this is um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 13 is very parallel to, um, to our response to God and to Christ and all that uh, he has done for us in this day. Isaiah 6, holiness of God. We spoke of the holiness of God um, a few weeks ago, and I thought it would be good for us to kind of um, further that a little bit by noticing what the proper response to holiness is. Isaiah helps us with this. Verse 1. 